Welcome to another great message at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. I read about a student at Cambridge University in the UK who asked uh, one of the theologians at the university this question. Are you saved? (laughs) And the theologian responded this way, do you mean, have I been saved? Am I being saved? Or will I be saved? And then went on to explain the three tenses of salvation. Now, what are the three tenses of salvation? I think one of the most important things that we need to understand is that salvation, when you find the word in the Bible, salvation or saved or related words, you need to ask yourself from the context, does this speak of a past reality, of the present situation, or of a future happening? Because salvation has three tenses. And in order to explain that, I want you to turn with me to a passage of Scripture, and I immediately need to apologize for not having the Scriptures on the screen for you. I was um, busy until after midnight uh, uh, getting this this message ready for you. And um, I want you to keep your Bible open as we turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And if you do not have your Bible with you, get into the habit of doing that, whether it's on a device or whether it's a hard copy. It's always good to check whether the preacher is actually preaching from the Bible. Now, in Hebrews 9, I'm going to read from verse 24, just a few verses, but I want you to read attentively and listen attentively to what I'm going to uh, read because there is a recurring theme here, and I hope you can pick it up. Hebrews 9, 24 says, Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, But after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now, there are, in fact, many words repeated here. But what I want uh, you to notice that in this passage of Scripture, the verb appear appears to appear three times. And every time that the word appear appears, it appears to describe an appearance of Christ. Are you with me? And um, I'm sure you've noticed this, that the verb appear appears in three different tenses, past, present, and future indicating three phases of the ministry of of Jesus. So if I could give a title to my message, I want to call it Three Appearances of Christ. And especially in this season when we're celebrating 
the first appearance of Jesus at Christmas, I think it's fitting to, to consider how significant these three appearances are. Now, I, I just want to say that we need to know what Jesus already did for us in the past. We need to know what he's doing for us right now, and we need to know what he will do for us in the future. If we don't know what Jesus did for us in the past, then we will try to repeat his work today. And we will live in fear of eternity. So um, the completed work of Christ on the cross is so adequate, it's so perfect, that it, uh, it needs neither repetition nor addition. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to speak about um, these three appearances, but I'm going to ask some basic questions about different aspects of the life and the ministry of Jesus and then attempt to, to answer it in a way that we can see what impact those things have on us. So let me start with this question and uh, keep your Bibles open there in Hebrews 9. I want to ask the question, what do these three appearances of Christ mean for us? So let's go to verse 26 of Hebrews 9. And here you'll see Christ has appeared past tense. It says this, once at the end of the ages, that's the era that we're living in. The end of the ages started with with the um, incarnation of Christ, and we living in the last of the last days. It says that Jesus has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So this verse describes the first appearance of Jesus on the earth when he became flesh here on earth. But what is important, if you look carefully, and it's actually easy to spot, in this verse it also gives us the reason for his first appearance. And it says that it was to put away sin or to take away sin through his substitutionary death on the cross. Um, now what is interesting to note here is that the English word every time is appear. But in Greek, there are actually three different words used here. And I want to, to tell you what these words are so that we can get the full impact of the meanings. In verse 26, the Greek word for appear, there is the word phanerouel, which literally means a, a manifestation. It comes from a root word which means to lighten, to shine, to show. And this is exactly what Jesus came to do in his first appearance. It means to to make apparent, to make manifest, to make or to become known, to become visible, to show oneself. And Jesus came to show his true character and his true nature, uh, uh, giving us uh, in detail the character of himself and of, of the Father, because that's what, what the word could mean. So Jesus made himself visible in a bodily form and then revealed himself as the savior of humankind, the savior from sin. And that was the reason for his first appearance. And that work is completed, as I said. Then if we go on to uh, the present appearance of Christ, in verse 24, it speaks about Christ appearing now, present tense. It says, he has not entered the holy places made with hands, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So this is the present-day ministry of Jesus. And if you, again, 
read and this time a little bit more carefully, you'll find the reason why he is appearing. Look at the last two words there. He's appearing in the presence of God for us. So right now, Jesus is the advocate and he is interceding uh, before the Father for us. The Greek word used here is related to phaneruo, but this time it has a prefix, and the prefix is simply en, which means in, uh, in, in a literal way, or if you use it figuratively, it actually means intensely. So here's what, what it says, that Jesus is appearing in an intense way. Uh, before the Father for us. I want to give you a, a definition that I got from um, a, a lexicon uh, by Lowe and Nida, and it says this, that it means to make a formal report before authorities on a judicial matter. I like that. Jesus is actually pleading our case legally before the Father. That's what he's doing right now. So, uh, I, I want you to understand this. Although he is appearing in heaven for us, he's no longer limited like he was on earth to a, a, a body. So he is omnipresent, and I know you've been uh, uh, hearing about his presence. So although he's pleading in heaven, we also have him living inside of us, and we can experience his presence here on earth. Then let me go to verse 28 of Hebrews 9, where it speaks about Christ will appear, future tense. It says, to those who eagerly wait for him. Anybody like that here? Eagerly waiting for him? To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear. And then it says a second time. Why a second time? Because it's speaking of his appearance on earth again. So now he will appear, and listen to this, Apart from sin, let me just say this. He already dealt with sin. That's what the author means here. He says it's not going to be a, a, about sin this time because he died once for all for sin. But he is going to appear for salvation. That already uh, will give you an indication that salvation has a future aspect. So when Jesus comes again, it will be the consummation of our salvation. And the Greek word used here, an interesting word, optanomai, and comes from the Greek word for I, ophthalmos. And it literally means to allow oneself to be seen. And very interesting, it actually implies gazing with wide open eyes intently. And here's what the Bible says. When Jesus appears again on the earth, every eye shall see him. So every eye shall see him, but not every person will receive salvation. He's coming for those who are eagerly awaiting him, who uh, uh, have been saved already. Now, let me get back to what I said earlier about the tenses of salvation, the past, present, and, and future realities of, of sin. Uh, to compare and to contrast these three realities, I'm going to make 
some brief statements mentioning these three realities together, and then I'll give you at least one scripture explaining what it means. And let me just say this. I, I really had to have the gift of deletion because there are so many scriptures that I could have given you, but maybe it's good to, to get some homework. Go and read in the New Testament about salvation, and then ask yourself, is this speaking of past, present, or future salvation? So here are those brief statements. Concerning the past, I want to call our past salvation spiritual birth. Concerning the present, the present phase of salvation, I want to call spiritual growth. And concerning the future, I would like to describe the future expectation of salvation as spiritual hope. Spiritual birth, spiritual growth, and spiritual hope. And then, here's the reality which I will probably mention again. Concerning the past, we have been set free from the penalty of sin. In the present, we are being set free from the power of sin. And in the future, we will be free from the presence of sin. Hallelujah. I like that. Let me give you some key words here. In the past, a key word in understanding the past reality of salvation is justification. The operative word in the present experience of salvation is sanctification. And then in the future actuality of salvation, the significant word is glorification. Hallelujah. And then the last way to look at it before I'm going to give you some scriptures. In the past, we have been saved from the punishment and guilt of sin. In the present, present we are being saved from the defilement of sin. And in the future, we will be saved from the judgment of sin. Now, let me give you at least one scripture uh, confirming these three realities. And there, as I said, there are many, many scriptures. And go and, and read them and note the tenses. I want to start with um, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. And I'm going to read it from the Amplified because Paul mentions three aspects of the past reality of salvation in, in this verse. And, and please listen to me carefully. He writes to believers. He says, you were washed clean. That's a past reality. Purified by a complete atonement for sin and made free from the guilt of sin. And you were consecrated, set apart, hallowed. And you were justified. That's the key word, justification. Pronounced righteous by trusting in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of our God. Then moving on to the present salvation, listen what he, what he says. And as I said, again, many scriptures, but I'm going to give you two that speak so clearly. Uh, the first one is in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. It says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now listen to this. But to us who are being saved, present continuous tense, it is the power of God. 2 Corinthians 2.15 from the New English Translation. We are a sweet aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, present continuous tense, and among those who are perishing. Now, I, I, I want you to, 
to listen to this because this is a key scripture that I want to, to look at before we move on to the future aspect of our salvation. 1 John 1 and verse 7. And uh, again, let me remind you that John is writing to believers here. In verse 7, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, if we believers are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, that's speaking about our fellowship with God, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from sin. That's present tense. But it's not just present tense. In fact, if you go and study the Greek word, it is in the present tense, the active voice, and the indicative mood. And I know you didn't come here for a grammar lesson, but let me just give you the importance of those three things. Present tense means that action is taking place right now. Active voice means it is performed by Jesus. It's not something that you do. And then indicative mood means it is an action that is really taking place and is continuing. And so here's how this verse should be translated, and I'm going to read the, the last part of the verse from uh, Kenneth West's expanded translation of the New Testament. He says, the blood of Jesus, his son, keeps continually cleansing us from every sin. Wow. The Amplified says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses, removes us from all sin and guilt keeps us cleansed from sin in all its forms and manifestations. Wow. So, can I put it this way? The blood of Jesus keeps clean what it has made clean. And this is why I can understand when some people make the statement that Jesus has actually forgiven our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. I can understand that if you understand these uh, 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 three realities and these three tenses of salvation. Let me uh, uh, conclude with a scripture about, or scriptures about the future reality of our salvation. Essentially, in future, we will be saved from judgment and eternal damnation, because that's coming. Quite often in the New Testament, we speak, we hear about the coming judgment uh, when the wrath of God, listen to me, against sin will be revealed and released. Look at Romans 5. It says here that God demonstrates his own love toward us. Can I remind you again? He's speaking to believers and about believers. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, having now been justified by his blood, past tense, we shall be saved, future tense, from wrath. What wrath? The wrath of God, the judgment. I like to use the word judgment because sometimes people have the idea that God is an angry God. No, God will release his wrath against sin. And it says this, that... Uh, um, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Who's the him? Through Jesus. 
For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, past tense, much more having been reconciled, past tense, we shall be saved by his life, future tense. Wow. So that is so amazing. And just incidentally, the word for wrath here does not indicate a sudden, uncontrolled outburst of, of anger. It actually, the Greek word uh, here speaks about a controlled, ardent sense of retribution against sin from the unerring justice of God. That's what it, what it means. Because it was and it is God's loving intention to save sinners. That's why he gave his son to die in their place. So go and read about this. When Peter speaks about this future salvation, he calls it a living hope. When Paul speaks about it, he calls it a blessed hope. And let me quickly give you some aspects of this future salvation. We will be free from this world, from its temptation, its imperfections, and its misery. No more lockdown in heaven. We would receive the redemption of our mortal bodies. We would escape eternal judgment. And we would receive our heavenly inheritance. And I just need to conclude well, not my sermon, just this part. But I need to conclude with this because I can, I can almost hear that some people are asking this. Well, if salvation has a future reality, will I make heaven? The fact that the consummation of our salvation lies in the future should never make you insecure because the work of Jesus in the past has been completed. Amen. And listen to this. Don't Say, will I receive eternal life one day? Let me tell you what Jesus said about eternal life. I'm going to give you two scriptures. Well, maybe three. John 5, 24. Jesus said this. Most assuredly. Let me stop there for a moment. When Jesus says this, it's translated in, in various ways. Truly, truly, verily, verily, most assuredly, etc., uh, etc. Et the Greek word is a, is a repetition of the word amen. Jesus says, Amen, Amen. And usually Jesus uh, uses it this way. Amen, Amen. I, the Amen. So Jesus says, this is sure. Uh, uh, Jesus did not use it in the way that we use it sometimes. We sometimes use the expression, especially the young people, I hear them saying, genuine. So what do they mean when they say genuine? They mean you can believe me this time. Jesus never meant that when he said most assuredly, because he never lied. He just said, listen, this may sound unbelievable, but I want you to know this is true. Most assuredly, he says, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. Not will get it one day, has eternal life. In, in chapter 6, verse 47 Oh, no, that was chapter 6, 47. Let me go back to John 5, 24. I, I, I missed it here. Uh, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me who sent me has eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death uh, into life. Hallelujah. And then a last scripture in this regard, 
again, John, but this time his first epistle, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Wow. So can you see that when you read about salvation, you need to ask yourself, is this speaking of past, present, or future salvation? And let me, let me uh, uh, state it in, in a totally different way. Concerning the past, your spirit has been saved. Concerning the present, your mind is being saved. Present continuous tense. And concerning the future, your body will be saved because you're going to get a glorified body. And I'm going to get a bigger one. Okay, I, I, I don't know if I'll be able to finish, so I'm going to rush over the next one. Uh, the next question is, why does Jesus occupy three ministry offices? Because we know that Jesus stands in the office of prophet, priest, and king. And um, uh, he forever stands in that. But it seems like a specific office uh, comes to the forefront in each of these phases of the ministry of Jesus. Because his prophetic ministry became evident when he was endued with the Spirit and climaxed with his death and his resurrection when he appeared uh, on the earth the first time. Then his priestly ministry actually began at the cross and is continuing right now and will conclude at his return. And then lastly, his royal ministry as king started with his ascension, but will culminate when he returns and when he will rule forever. Hallelujah. I'm leaving out a lot of things here, but um, you can go and, and study that in your own time. Next question. I still have uh, about 76 more, so don't be in too much of a hurry. Next question, and I think this applies to Christmas. Why did Jesus actually obtain three gifts as a child? I think those gifts were quite significant. And we're going to read about them in Matthew 2. But uh, just before we do, allow me to ask you some questions that you can answer yourself. But please do not answer aloud because I don't want to embarrass anyone. Just think it in your mind, the, the answer. Here's a simple question. How many wise men were there? Tradition tells us three. You see it on the Christmas card. It must be true. No, the Bible doesn't say how many wise men. It says three gifts. Okay, <laughs> just to help you there. Uh, and, uh, and here's another simple question about Christmas. Did the wise men and the shepherds meet at the manger in the stable? No. Because we're talking about different times. When you read about, and we'll read it now in Matthew 2, about the wise men, you'll see that by this time Jesus was not in the inn or the stable any longer. He was living in, his, in the house with his parents. And he must have been about two years old because when the wise men told Herod about this new king, he made sure that all the boys, or tried to make sure all the boys under two years old, according to the time that the wise men told him, 
he, he made sure that they were eradicated so that, that he could remain king. So um, Matthew 2, look at verse 11. We'll just read this one verse. When they, the wise men, had come into the house, not the inn, not the stable, they saw the young child, not the baby. Oh, you have to throw away half of your Christmas cards. <laughs> With Mary's mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three gifts. Okay. Now, I, I, I want to point out some things here. Uh, significant about the wise men themselves before I get to the gifts. They were most probably not Jews. They were Gentiles. They came from the East. So that proves Jesus died or came for everyone. Amen. So um, uh, s somebody asked me the question, uh, why could Jesus not have been born in Bethlehem in the free state? And my simple answer is they couldn't find any wise men. <laughs> Apologies to everybody. My wife actually comes from the free state. And somebody asked, do, uh, why couldn't it be three, or, or three gifts from wise women? I think that might have been better. They would not have asked for directions in the first place. They would have arrived on time. They probably would have helped deliver the baby. They would have cleaned the stable made a casserole, and uh, brought some practical gifts. <laughs> but these gifts were quite significant. I know this is a bit allegorical, but I'm, I'm going to, to just uh, share with you what these gifts could speak of. The, the gift of myrrh, the word myrrh comes from an, uh, a Hebrew word that means bitter, related to the, the Hebrew word mara, which we know means bitterness, associated with grief. And that was a reddish gum resin that was obtained by bruising a certain tree and a, a spice with various applications. And we know that it was a purifying agent, uh, a, a mixture containing myrrh was given to Christ on the cross to deaden the pain. Uh, it was even a substance for embalming. So clearly it speaks of his suffering and his death, the first phase of his ministry, his completed work. Frankincense, we know, is a, is a vegetable resin, quite uh, glittering, uh, used for perfume, but especially as a fragrant fume when burnt at sacrifices of worship. And so it could speak of his present intercessory work in God's presence where our, our prayers actually go up like incense before the Father. So it speaks of his present day ministry. And then gold is a precious metal. We know it's costly. It's an appropriate gift for royalty. And it's interesting that these wise men brought a gift like that to acknowledge Jesus. They gave King Herod nothing. <laughs> Because Jesus is the King of Kings. So it speaks of his, the future phase of his ministry. And let me conclude again with, with this question. How does Jesus take care of the three periods of our lives, past, present, and future? Thank God, Hebrews 13, 8 says, he's the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. And here's a beautiful scripture, and listen to this, because you will find all three blessings or benefits of the appearances of Jesus in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Having been justified by faith, past tense, justification, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace, present tense, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, future tense, glorification. Wow. So Jesus brought gifts for us, peace for my yesterdays, grace for my today, and hope and glory for my tomorrow. Hallelujah. I'm going to leave out a, a, a number of things here. Let me, let me finish with this. There are many, uh, thank God for the wise men that we read about. There are not many wise men today, a lot of wise guys, <laughs> but not many wise men. And if you want to be a wise person, here's what you need to do. Acknowledge Jesus not just as the Christ of the crib during Christmas, but also acknowledge him as the Christ of the cross. But if you stop there and just wear uh, a crucifix with Jesus on the cross, you're missing it because you also need to acknowledge him as the Christ of the crown because he's the king of kings. And uh, we can put it this way. Yesterday, he died for me. That's history. Today, he lives for me. That's victory. Tomorrow, he comes for me. That's mystery, but also certainty. Hallelujah. And when we look at it from a, a legal perspective, this is what Jesus was, is, and will be. So interesting. In his first appearance, he was the accused. Because he was um, accused of being a criminal. That's the death that he died and he took our sins upon him. In his second appearance right now, he's the advocate. Because he's interceding, mercifully pleading our case before the Father. In his third appearance, he will not be the accused. He will not be the advocate, but he will be the adjudicator. He'll be the judge. And... Um, He'll judge everybody to determine retribution or reward according to his or her works. Now, I have some good news for you. When we appear before the great white throne judgment one day, won't it actually be great to have the judge as your advocate? <laughs> you cannot lose your case. Amen. So Jesus is our advocate. I rest my case. Hallelujah. And so this Christmas, please make sure that you don't just look at Jesus as the baby in the cradle. Don't just see Jesus as the, the uh, suffering Savior on the cross, but see him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I have good news for you. You don't have to take, and I have nothing against trips to Israel, but you don't have to go to physical Bethlehem, the house of bread, because the good news is the bread of heaven came to you. 
and we can enjoy all the blessings and the benefits. So you don't have to impress God with your works. God came to you. The bread of heaven is yours. So let's rejoice in these past, present, and future realities of our salvation. Amen. Let's stand.